Kristen, we're so glad to have you back among the land of the living. Great to see you back up here, and uh, we'll continue to pray for your health. Glad that uh, you're in a better place this week than you were last week. Let's look at uh, Psalm 16. We're going to be spending some time there this morning, so turn with me in your Bibles uh, to that psalm. Uh, We've got Bibles for you in the pew. You'll find this psalm on page 453. If you've been with us for the last uh, few weeks, even the last couple of months, you'll know that we're kind of taking our cue from a book uh, called The The Mission of God's People by Chris Wright. And and what we've been looking at is, uh, you know, after two years of COVID, kind of having to put some things on hold, what we've been doing is, is reminding ourselves that it's time to get focused on the calling and the command of God to make the name of Jesus through the way we live beautiful in the eyes of others. In other words, that, that God has called us to, to make the invisible God visible to the world. Jonathan Garrett did such a wonderful job last week of, of sharing that with us and reminding us that we're kind of a, a walking advertisement for the beauty of Christ that, that does attract others to Christ because they see the beauty of Christ in our lives. But if you and I are to live out the beauty of Christ, then we need to be deeply involved with Christ because we'll never become like Christ unless we spend time with Christ. We'll never represent him well unless we know him well. So this morning, what I'm going to do is is focus on people who know their God really well. In other words, instead of focusing this morning on the mission, I want to focus on what is required for us as the people of God if we're going to live out the mission. And that is for us to know our God very well. And the classic book on that is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. Knowing God. One of the great books about moving us into a deeper relationship with the living God. And early on in the book, Packer makes two very profound statements. The first is this. Many people may know a lot about God and yet not really know God, not know much of God. In other words, you know, you may know how to kind of walk through the Scriptures. You may know how to even outline the, the, the minor prophets in the Old Testament. You may know a lot about theology. You may know as much about God as John Calvin, but not really have Uh, this kind of experiential relationship that the Puritans used to speak about uh, in in which you really do not just know about God, but you know God. You live in relationship with God as you would live in relationship with a close friend or family member. The second thing that that Packer says is this. uh, You may know a lot about godliness without really knowing much of God himself. Uh, So again, you may know how to pray. You may be able to to cite all the prayers in Scripture. You may know how to witness and lead someone to Christ. And yet, not really be able to say, I know God and God knows me. Because we're in rich relationship, a living relationship with each other. I have a dear friend. We have reconnected after some years. And we 
meet once a week, just like we used to do years ago. And we, we just kind of share our lives with each other. And uh, my friend has one of the most experiential, if I can say it that way, relationships with God of anybody I've ever known. Uh, it is not unusual for him to, to spend two hours at the beginning of every day, seven days a week, with God alone in the Word and in prayer. And it's inevitable that sometime during our, we meet for about an hour and a half each week, that sometime during our conversation, he will just stop and say, you know, I know my God adores me. And he's not saying that because he thinks he deserves it, because he thinks he's sinless, he knows his sin. He says that because he knows his God and he knows his God knows him. And so what we're going to do is kind of focus on that this morning. And I want to do so by looking at the person in the Old Testament that I think, if you were to ask me who in the Old Testament walked with God, knew God in this kind of relationship, I would immediately go to David. And so we're going to look at one of his psalms. He wrote so many of these psalms. And and what you see in these psalms is a man who relates to his God. It's very clear Uh, They spoke with each other. Psalm 16, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the nights also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you for the many psalms. We thank you for David who had this kind of relationship with you and and models it for us in so many ways. Help us, Father, as we seek to know you better. Help us to know how we may go about that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I became a, a follower of Christ in Gosh, 1975, I was 18 years old and uh, immediately began reading Scripture in a way I had never read before. And when I got to the Psalms, I kept thinking, this David, he knows his God and and he longs for God. There's something about him. It's not, uh, this isn't just a, a relationship in which David knows a lot about God. He knew God. I mean, listen to Psalm 42, 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. Do you hear the longing in his words for God, for not for knowledge about God, but for God himself? Psalm 63, 1. O oh God, you are my God. 
earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Now, now just stop for a minute and let that sink in. Uh, we should never go to God's Word and simply read for knowledge or for facts or to answer a question. We should be reading to meet with the living God. And, and so, the point that I'm making early on here is that David knew God, not just a lot about God, not just a lot about godliness, but David knew God. And here's the question I want to ask you, do you, do you know God? Would you say, if someone asks you, do you know God and does God know you? Is, is there this, this intimate, awe-filled relationship with the living God that you experience on a daily basis. And, and let me just make it clear. I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer one time to accept God or walked an aisle or raised a hand. I am asking if you know God. So, for instance, when you're discouraged, uh, do you look to God for encouragement? Is He where you find the encouragement that you need? When you're fearful, uh, do you look to God as your refuge? And when you're richly blessed, do you, do you look to God with gratitude as the giver of all good gifts? When you're bored, do you look to God as your greatest joy and greatest pleasure? When you're lonely, do you look to God as your best friend? When you're full of sin, do you look to God as your redeemer? David could answer all of those questions with a yes. Was he a deeply flawed man? Did he make a lot of costly mistakes? Absolutely. But for so much of his life, he walked with God. He knew his God, and he, he lived with God in this wonderful, ongoing, intimate, awe-filled relationship. And, and here's why. If you want one secret, as it were, one key, and, and there's no silver bullet. Don't hear me saying that. But if you want to focus on one thing, that I believe made the difference in his life and made the difference in, in every follower of, of God's life who really did have this kind of relationship with God. It is verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion. Somewhere along the line, David made a choice about the way he was going to live. Now, yes, uh, it came in response to God's choosing of him. But somewhere along the line, David said, the Lord is my chosen portion. In other words, the, the word of God tells me that God is enough for me, even if I have nothing else. I, I may be discouraged, I may be down, I may be at, at a loss at times, but even if I have nothing else, then God himself being mine is enough for me. And I'm going to stake my life on that. I am going to live in a way that makes it clear that God is my greatest treasure and my greatest pleasure. So how did God enable David then to experience that, to experience God as his portion, as his greatest treasure, as his greatest pleasure, as the one in whom he trusted, he relied on more than any human being. Well, I, I think, uh, again, 
If you look at his Psalms, you, you realize that the depth of his relationship had to do with the fact that he meditated on God's Word day and night. He knew God's Word. He spent time in God's Word. But he didn't spend time in God's Word just to learn facts about God. He, he spent time in God's Word to meet with the living God, to hear God speak to him through his Word, and to respond to him in prayer. Listen to David's prayer in Psalm 25. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. That doesn't mean he sat doing nothing all the day long. It doesn't mean he sat with the Word of God open before him all the day long. But all the day long, he was looking for God to speak with him so that he could speak back to him in return, certainly through his Word. But all day long, he thought about life through the lens of God's Word, through living in relationship with the living God. Many people have compared that psalm that I just read to you with Psalm 1, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I'm going to make a statement, and uh, you can take it for what it's worth, but I firmly believe this. If I put it in a negative way, it's this. You will never know God in this way or even come close to knowing God in this way unless the Word of God is a part of your day, every day. And what I mean by that really, again, is going there to seek God. Not just to answer a question for a Bible study, but to meet with the living God. This is his word. He wrote it down for us through many, many men over many centuries that we might know him and know that he knows us and enjoys spending time with us. David knew God because he spent a lot of time with God. And uh, we think we're so busy in, in this life, and certainly we are, but David, think of who he was. He was the king. He had a lot of things to do, and yet he found time, day and night, to be with God. If I can go back to J.I. Packer for a moment, he asked the question, how can we turn our knowledge about God, which is a good thing, but more importantly, into knowledge of God. And he simply says, by meditating on God's Word. So what I want to do this morning is something very different. I kept changing all the way through as I meditated on this psalm for preparation for today. And at one point, I was going to go through every verse, as we typically would do, and just kind of talk about what is there. But then I thought, well, I'll go through a few verses and uh, couldn't get through all of that. And so here's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to go through one verse. The very first verse. And here's why. I, what I want to do is I'm going to show you a very simple way to meet with God in his word. Meditate on his word. To, to meet with him. And, and so what I'm going to do basically is kind of show you the way that I have done this for many years. And, and, and talk to you a bit about how it has affected me deeply and, and transformed a relationship that, was, that could be very dry at times to something that is very living. And so 
I'm going to tell you in a minute my very, very simple way to meditate on God's Word. Before I do that, I'm going to share with you, though, something that deeply changed me years ago. I mean, I started from nearly the day I became a Christian to having a daily quiet time. And sometimes they were good. Sometimes they were pretty dry. And I want to share with you quickly before I share with you the way I actually do meditate on God's Word. I want to share with you what changed this for me and, and, and made it something very rich, something that I look forward to. There was a man named George Mueller in the 19th century. You may know that name, a great man of prayer, founded many orphanages, never once asked for a dollar. Or I guess it would be a pound in Britain. But prayed. He was a man of great faith. But the thing that I want to talk to you about today is the way he learned to meditate on God's Word. You see, at first, like many of us, he started with prayer early in the morning, but found his mind wandering. And so he said, I learned after years of kind of being up and down and having dry times and some rich times, I learned that the very first thing I needed to do every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Now, that's 19th century language. We don't use that anymore. But let me share with you what he meant by that. What does it mean to have your soul happy in the Lord? Why is it important to do that first thing in the morning? Well, basically what he did, instead of starting with prayer, he said, where my mind might begin to wander, I started with the Word of God, and I read, and I thought, uh, until uh, either I was comforted or encouraged or challenged or rebuked or instructed, in other words, that's what he meant by, by sensing the Lord speaking to him personally through his word. Not just learning facts, but sensing God meeting with him, coming down from the heavens through his word and his spirit, saying to George Mueller, this is what you need for the day as you read through my word. I want to give you comfort or encouragement or here's something where you need to look at your life because it, it's not in line with my life. And that's what he meant by having his soul happy in the Lord, knowing that God met with him. In other words, what was so important was to meet God and to hear him speak to him. And he went on to say, I, I realized that the first thing was not for me to go out and serve the Lord. The first thing was for me to meet with the Lord uh, so that I might be nourished in my own soul and, and prepared then to go out and carry out the mission of God to see other people come to know the living God. And what happened then as he, as he met with God in that way and thought about how God was speaking to him and what it meant for him on that day, then what happened, what happened was he automatically began kind of just spontaneously praying to the Lord, speaking back to the Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the comfort you've given me. Thank you that you care enough about me to show me ways that are destructive in my life. Thank you for encouraging me when I'm disappointed. And, and so you, you see what was happening was it, it was a time of hearing from God and then thinking about how it, it worked out in his life and then responding to God in prayer. So it's, it is a meeting. It is a relationship that is experienced not only in the intellect, but also in the emotions. Now, what I want to do is just share with you very briefly, by looking at one verse, 
uh, my own way of meditating on God's Word. And as I said, it is so very simple. There's nothing complicated about it. Any of us can do that. And I'm going to summarize it in three words. Read, think, pray. It is really simple. Read, think, pray. Read the Word. Think about how it applies to your life. And then respond to God in prayer, however you are affected by Him through His Word. So let's, let's just look at the very first verse. First thing, what do we do? Read. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now let's think about it. You know, why is David asking God to preserve him? What is the, the situation that, that, that brings this kind of fear into David's life that, that he turns to God and, and, and asks him for help, preserve me, uh, but then also moves him to kind of stand in the security of, of God as his refuge? Well, uh, here's where it, it is so important to have a really good study Bible, like the ESV study Bible, and even use that in your daily devotionals because you're not going to know a lot of times what is the context, for instance, of a psalm. And so go down and look at the footnote. And you'll find that no one knows for sure what David was going on, was going on in his life at this point. But, but perhaps, and this is what many think, perhaps he was fleeing from King Saul who was seeking to kill David. And so we know then that, gosh, at some level, there's something going on that is causing David to fear. And so the first thing, you know, when we, when we think about this is to, to be reminded that, oh, you mean even God's great saints feared? Yes, they did. And so there's an identity we can have with them. But as we think about how this applies to me, as I think about it, um, as far as I know, I don't have anyone trying to kill me. I think I'm safe on that level. But have I given into fear at times? Do I give into fear at times? I do in, in a number of ways. I have probably shared with you before, though I'm not as bad as I used to be, I have always been a worrier, and that can lead to fear. But one of the things that I have wrestled with on and off for much of my life, and, and by God's grace, I am not where I once was, but I'm not where I would like to be. One of the things I wrestle with is the fear of man. What other people think of me. You know, there are times when I care way too much about what someone else thinks about me and forget to put at the center of who I am what God thinks about me. And so now I turn to prayer and, and simply would, would say something to the effect of God, forgive me for thinking it's more important to know what other people think about me than to what you think about me. And, and I remind myself at times, perhaps of some of the scriptures, I, I remind myself that I am united to Christ. And because of that, uh, not only is Jesus your son, but I am your son. And because of that, when you said at his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, you've said that about me. Uh, Lord, help me to live in light of that, not in light of what other people may think. Help me to remember that you made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Father, I, I stand in 
his blood cleansed from my sin as righteous as he is because he has given to me his righteousness. Lord, help me to live in that and in your approval of me. Now, of course, Lord, um, I need to choose, like David chose, to take my refuge in you. Forgive me for finding refuge in others. Forgive me for, gosh, when someone is critical of me, for instance, running to someone else, if I do that. Uh, uh, Lord, uh, remind me that if someone is critical of me, I need to listen and see if there is some truth that I need to apply to my life. But, but, but if not, then help me to choose to trust you as my shield and defender rather than retaliating. So read Think, pray. It's, it's really simple. But now I want to I go on and, and show you what I do next with still same verse in my meditation. Now, instead of more prayer about my own life and what I need to do in, in terms of this, this verse, which is a lot more, I move on to, to, to speak to God about people I love. Now, for instance, my own family. So I go back and read, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And I can't help but think of my children and my grandchildren. You know, while my children lived with me, there was a sense in which I could protect them. There's a sense in which I had a fair amount of influence on their lives, especially as they were younger. But, but that's diminished now because, uh, praise God, they've grown up. They've become independent adults. But I don't have nearly the influence or the ability to protect them. And so, Lord, as I think about that, I ask you to be their refuge and do for them what I cannot possibly do. Lord, protect their marriages from the world that would just cause so much harm. Protect their children. Enable them to grow up knowing you. And Lord, in their trials, would you move in their hearts to know that you are their ultimate refuge and strength? One more thing. Again, we're still meditating on this first verse. But as I said, I often move from myself to people close to me. And then today, uh, it's very easy to move to the world stage. And remember that we have literally hundreds of thousands of followers of Jesus in Ukraine who are scared to death. We have so many brothers and sisters in Ukraine, and, and I cannot help but read again, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I cannot help but think about the thousands of pastors I've had the privilege of teaching in Kiev and Ukraine, and the friends who are there, and the men and women who traveled for days just to come to Kiev to, to learn for a week to go back into their own parishes. And so I, I read this and I think, oh Lord, would you help them to find you as their refuge and their strength, their defender and their shield. May they find in you the peace that passes understanding. And would you intervene? Would you end this war and save these men and women and children from the heinous destruction of a madman that has no fear of God before his eyes?
read, think, pray, meet with God, hear Him speak to you through His Word. Don't settle for knowing a lot of facts about God. That will just puff you up and do nothing for your soul. Read the Word of God to hear from Him and then think about how it applies to you and people that you care about and then pray. One of the things I didn't share with you about George Mueller that has become dear to me is the fact that he when he talked about having his soul happy in the Lord, so much of what he meant by that was, in addition to what I already said, was, was this. He said, I go to the Word of God to be blessed. I, I, I seek to find blessing in every verse, meaning I seek to find blessing in the Lord. And, and so what I have tried to do in my own walk with the Lord as I seek to meditate on scriptures. I seek to do time. I have time with the Lord in the mornings. I seek to sit there with the Word of God until I really believe God has met with me. Because until He has met with me, I have no ability to get up and to do anything of any worth in His kingdom. Read, think, Pray, read the text, see how it applies to you, think about it, and then pray. It's very simple. But sometimes simple ways are the best ways. Sometimes it really is a matter of going to the Lord and just sitting with Him, asking Him to meet with you. And what happens is then you begin to really experience God as you would uh, someone sitting with you, someone close to you. But there's something, of course, even greater than the, the closest person in your life sitting with you. This is the, the living God who created you, who formed you in your mother's womb, who knows you like no other and can do for you what no other can do for you. And what happens over time is you meditate on God's Word. And don't think that it works one day or two days. You've got to give it time. But over time, what happens is that you begin to experience God in such a way that, that you want Him to be your portion. You want to live in such a way that He is your greatest joy because He's becoming that for you. And you're learning to delight in Him and find uh, really the, the richest pleasures that there are in Him and in your relationship with Him. He becomes the one that you turn to, you rely on, you trust in when things are tough. I want to take it full circle, though, and go back to where we start. How does this relate to the mission of God's people? I said at the beginning that if we are to represent Christ well, we have to know him well. If we are to live in a way that reflects the beautiful character of, of Christ, we have to spend time with Christ because what happens when we do is that we become like Christ. You see, the more time you spend with him, the more his character begins to rub off on you. Uh, just by virtue, quite frankly, of, of being with him. Now, of course, there's thought and there's pray and there's work, but, but by virtue of just spending time with him, his character begins to rub off on you. You become like him. I noticed something not long ago. As an adult, um, the way I signed my signature, my John Hancock, as it were, 
I saw, after years of not really seeing my dad's signature, I saw his signature one day, and I said, oh my, I, I signed my signature just like him. I, I do my letters the same way he does. I never sat down and thought, I want to sign my signature, my name, like my dad does. I just spent time with him. Spend time with Jesus in his word. Read, think, pray, and you will become like him. And what happens then is you will make visible the invisible God. And some who see the beauty of Christ's character in your life will want Christ in their life. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you that you have given us your word. You have not left us alone, but you have come down to us in the person of Jesus Christ and then given to us words that are not just words, but the very heart of of you. They reflect your character and your longing to be with us. And so, Father, would you help us, speak to us, meet us, Lord, as we seek to meet with you Would you give to us a a renewed desire to be with you on a daily basis that we might indeed become like you? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.